The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show was pre-recorded earlier this week. The Everyday Wealth Radio Show and Podcast are produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky and Soledad O'Brien. Ms. Chatsky and Ms. O'Brien are not employees or clients of the firm. They receive fixed cash compensation for acting as hosts and related activities and therefore have an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everyday-wealth. The 2021 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm Ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed, revenue generated, regulatory records, staffing levels and diversity, technology spending, and succession planning. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2021 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien, personal finance expert Gene Chatsky, and Edelman Financial Engine's wealth planner Rose Neong. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky, Soledad O'Brien, and Rose Neong. On average, 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every single day. 65 is a pretty significant milestone. I remember back in the day when I thought 65 was old. <laughs> it is not old. It's one of the reasons it's a big milestone, of course, is that now you qualify for Medicare. Last week, one of the three enrollment periods for Medicare began, open enrollment for Medicare Advantage and Medicare drug coverage. And that runs from October 15th through December 7th. And so lots of folks are making very important decisions right now. And we wanted to make sure that you are prepared, that you're ready. Hi, everybody. I'm Soledad O'Brien. And I'm Rose Young. And I'm Jean Chatsky. And you are listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. There was an article on CNBC just recently that pointed out that if just for the next two years, healthcare costs grow at 2% above inflation, and healthcare costs often grow at a rate above inflation. You'll have a healthy 55 year old couple looking at an additional $267,000 in medical costs when they retire at age 65. And that very same couple, they could expect to spend more than a million dollars on healthcare expenses during their lifetime. The thing about Medicare is that like Social Security, it's one of those decisions that you really have a very limited window to get right. If you make the wrong decisions or you make decisions too late, you could face penalties, which is one of those reasons that I just think you should not be doing this alone. You should be doing this with some help. And Rose, I know you in your practice, you deal with this all the time. You are absolutely uh, correct, Jean. Making the wrong decision could cost you a lot. And sometimes those penalties that you've mentioned can last a lifetime. So let's say uh, you retired early, uh, well before Medicare age, and you are lucky enough to not have to worry about the cost of health care because you have retiree health coverage from your old employer. Then at age 70, uh, you went in uh, for, let's say, a heart bypass surgery. The hospital, after the surgery all went well, sends you a bill and you decide to call the hospital because uh, having health insurance, you're wondering why you're getting the bill. Then the hospital tells you that your insurance, your retiree health insurance company rejected the bill. 
you decided to call them as well just to find out what's going on. And then they break the news to you that you should have signed up for Medicare when you turned 65 and that Medicare should have been your primary health insurance and your retiree health coverage would then play the role of secondary uh, health insurance. And because you waited five years, so from 65 to 70 to sign up, now you are facing a 50% penalty for late enrollment. And that penalty will be 10% for every year that you, you didn't sign up for Medicare. This is why whenever you are close to age 65, sitting down with a professional like an Edelman Financial Engines planner is going to be extremely helpful because Medicare, like Social Security, our laws and, and rules and regulations do change on an ongoing basis. Uh, so sitting down with somebody to help you in this particular scenario is going to be extremely helpful. I'm very lucky to work for an organization, uh, Edelman Financial Engines, that makes sure that planners like me are up to speed on things like Social Security, like Medicare, that can help our clients avoid land mines. So you can always talk to an Edelman Financial Engines planner by calling 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. So can we just take a step back, Rose, and start at the very beginning and break down what people need to know about signing up for Medicare? Let's go through, first and foremost, the different components of Medicare. So you have your Part A, and that is your hospital insurance. So this will cover inpatient care uh, in, in a hospital, a nursing home facility, hospice, or even home health care. Most people do not have to pay a premium for Part A. Then you have your Part B. That covers your doctor's visits, any services at the doctor's office, outpatient care, uh, again, some home health care coverage that you have, medical equipment, and most importantly, your preventative care. Now, you will have a monthly premium for your Part B, and that premium is going to depend on your income. So when you take Part A and Part B, that's what you hear people call original Medicare. But as you know, Gene, Medicare does not cover everything. And most people need to get additional insurance to cover costs that Medicare does not. Costs like prescription drug coverage, for example. And that is your Medicare Part D. So then Medicare Part D, which is the prescription drug part of it, who's running that? So that plan, Soledad, is actually run by private insurance companies that follow as rules that are set by Medicare. And a good point to note is that you also pay a separate premium for that coverage. And often if you've got original Medicare, because of those things, Rose, that you said are not covered, people will buy an additional policy, extra insurance to fill in some of the gaps, right? And that's why we call it Medigap insurance. So if you combine Part A, Part B, the drug coverage Part D, and a supplemental Medigap policy, that's how some people do it. But other people go a different route and they make a choice called Medicare Advantage. Can you talk about that? Yes. So Medicare Advantage is a little bit like an HMO. So it's a bundled plan that include the coverages we've just mentioned. So Part A, B, and usually D. And it is very important to note, however, that you 
can only use a doctor that is within this network, right? But these Medicare Advantage plans have a lower out-of-pocket cost than that of original Medicare, which is why, you know, they, they are a little bit more popular in most cases. But they do also cover things that original Medicare doesn't cover, which may be important to you, like vision, hearing, and dental services. So the thing about Medicare Advantage is that it may seem, based on all the advertisements, because they advertise it like crazy, it may seem like a better deal. But you may run into costs along the way after the fact that are higher than you'd expect. It's not just, I I mean, I think sometimes the disadvantages of a Medicare Advantage program, not being able to see your doctors, not being able to access some of the services that you may want to access, but also you may get hit with out-of-pocket charges, additional co-pays, additional higher prescription costs than you might have been expecting. So in order to figure out what's best, you just need someone to to navigate that for you, help you figure out what is actually best for your, as Jean likes to call it, your personal economy. It is personal. I know I sound a little like a broken record with the personal economy, no, but it like has it. to we fit. Like it. <laughs> it, it has to fit into your life, right? It has to fit into the context of all of the other decisions that you're making. So imagine a person that is of Medicare age and uh, has retired and decided to delay signing up for Medicare Part D. So that's the prescription part of Medicare. You know, they keep pushing it off. And when they finally got around signing up, they had to sign up during the Medicare general enrollment period, which runs from January 1st to March 31st. Did you know that when you sign up for Medicare during that general enrollment period, it doesn't start until July 1st? So if this person had major health issues, this delay can cost them hundreds of dollars in out-of-pocket expenses per month until Medicare kicks in. Today, we are discussing what you need to know about Medicare open enrollment. Why? Because we are in it right now. It runs from October 15th to December 7th. So clearly, Rose, understanding who needs to sign up and then when exactly they need to sign up is kind of the $64,000 question. Absolutely. And there are a few considerations that you need to take into account before you even start to answer that question, Soledad. I'll just run through a couple of scenarios. If you're turning 65 and you are no longer working, you're first eligible to sign up for Medicare three months before you're 65, the month of your 65th birthday, and three months after you 65. So this is called the initial enrollment period. And if you miss your initial enrollment, you may have to wait to sign up. And the longer you wait, as we've established before, the higher those penalties can be. Of course, you uh, can be eligible for Medicare earlier than 65. If you had end-stage renal disease or ALS, uh, those are conditions that will qualify you for Medicare ahead of time. If you already also started Social Security, because we all know you do have the option of taking Social Security at 62, you will be automatically enrolled into Medicare Part A and B. But if you are delaying Social Security, of course, take heed of those three months before the month of your birthday and, and three months after. There are also some situations where you don't need to sign up if you're 65 or older, right? And and this is really confusing. So just take us through it step by step. Yeah, you know, 
if you are working uh, or your spouse is working, you do not need to sign up for Medicare if you work for an organization that have more than 20 people and, of course, offers health insurance. Uh, you can wait on signing up for Part B until you or your spouse stop working or you lose that health insurance uh, plan. So your job insurance will pay first and Medicare Part A will pay secondary, right? Wait. If you leave a job... Wait, 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 wait. This is where it gets confusing because you told us a story earlier in the show about somebody who did wait and because they had employer-provided health insurance and then they had a heart issue and then they went to the doctor and then they got hit by a major bill and penalties because they were told that they should have signed up. So where's the disconnect? That's a great question. Retiree health coverage, COBRA, they not considered what's called critical coverage with Medicare. Whereas your health insurance, while you are employed, is considered critical coverage. That's where the confusion lies. This is why you need somebody on your side who is looking at these things and can break it down for you. Right. So let's say I was covered. I had health insurance through my business. I've delayed it because I was still working. Now I'm not working there's a window in which you have to sign up. Do I risk being hit with giant bills just because I'm missing that window from when I've left my job? If you leave your job after 65, where you are covered, as we've just said, you will have a special enrollment period to sign up. Uh, and that period runs eight months long. So this is really, really, again, the word of the day is confusing, crazy confusing, because there are different open enrollment periods that you're talking about. And each one of these open enrollment periods is limited in terms of when it exists, but also in terms of what you can do during that time. So can you just break them down? Absolutely. So you have three times where you can join switch, drop a health coverage through Medicare or drug plan. So I've mentioned earlier that initial enrollment period, which runs three months before 65, the month you're 65, and three months after. You also have your annual open enrollment period. Uh, and this period is the period we are in right now. That is from October 15th to December 7th. And during this period, you can change your Medicare health or drug coverage for 2023 and have that coverage begin January 1st. So let's say you already have Part D or you are wanting to get Medicare Part D as well as a Medigap policy. Uh, this is a time where you can do that, but also this is the time where you can change those plans. You can also change your from original Medicare. So that's a Part A, B, you know, D, and then a supplemental plan and go into a Medicare Advantage plan and vice versa. Uh, you can also switch from one Medicare Advantage plan to another Medicare Advantage plan during this period, okay? Then you have the Medicare Advantage open enrollment period and the general open enrollment period. This period runs from January 1 to March 31st. So let's say we are now in this period and you chose a Medicare Advantage plan. February rolls around and you don't like your Medicare Advantage plan, you have one time during January 1st to March 31st to change that Medicare Advantage plan and have it be applicable the very next month. That 
period of January 1 to March 31st, I'm repeating it 5,005 times <laughs> so everybody can remember, is also the time in which, let's say, you didn't sign up for Medicare. You were 65, now you're 67, you didn't sign up for Medicare. You can sign up during that time, but you will be penalized, number one, for delaying signing up for Medicare. But number two, that coverage does not start until July 1st. Sounds so completely understandable. Okay. Yeah, that makes all of it. Make so, it's completely clear to me now, Rose. Thank you for explaining it. So give me the big takeaways. If you are, in fact, a person who's retiring a little bit earlier and you have retiree coverage, what do you need to know? Retiree coverage becomes supplemental at mm -hmm. 65. You need to sign up for Medicare three months before turning 65. If you don't, you will have a 10% penalty. And as we've said, that penalty can last a lifetime. So those are the things you need to know. So um, let me ask you a question. Is helping people navigate through Medicare basically like handing somebody a menu and saying like, this is what every wealth planner does. You know, you have a menu, you pick your stuff and, and it's pretty straightforward. I don't think every financial planner is talking to their clients about Social Security, Medicare and a whole other host of, of topics. I don't think many people realize how unusual this is. I, I recently did a, a webinar with an, a Medicare expert, somebody who lives, eats, and breathes Medicare 24-7. And his take was that financial advisors often do not get involved in these decisions and that many really don't take them into consideration, which Considering how much we're talking about in terms of actual dollars, I think that's a huge mistake. A good financial planner, like an Edelman Financial Engines planner, should be able to help weave Medicare, Social Security. We can help you make this decision by including it into your broader financial plan as it should be. Uh, we make sure that, you know, your Medicare expenses are isolated from your basic living expenses, let's say. The main reason for this, you know, Jean mentioned earlier, is that he uh, healthcare generally inflates at a higher number than your basic cost of living. So we want to make sure that we can help you get the math right, right? Make sure that those increases in your healthcare costs is part of your broader plan uh, so that you don't get a surprise, I ran out of money because we didn't calculate uh, healthcare correctly. So definitely don't do this alone. Do reach out to a financial planner. And if you don't have one, you can always, always uh, get help from an Edelman Financial Engines planner by visiting planefe.com. That's planefe.com. Thinking about Medicare Advantage like an HMO, as you said earlier, Rose, is, is actually the right thing to do it. And, and we see that Medicare Advantage, the Kaiser Family Foundation did some research and they found it tends to outperform traditional Medicare when it comes to things like preventative services or lower hospital readmission rates. But when you're thinking about things like being able to go to the highest rated hospitals for cancer care or the highest rated skilled nursing facilities, then original Medicare with a Medigap policy is going to be your best friend. Rose, it's amazing information. Thank you so much for breaking it down for us. 
Over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about financial steps that you should be thinking about before the end of the year. And coming up in the next block, we are going to do that again. We're going to switch gears and we're going to dive into what you need to know about your year-end charitable giving best moves. I'm Jean Chatsky here with Soledad O'Brien and Rose Young. You're listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth. We'll be right back. Getting mauled by the bears in the stock market? What about a looming recession? Is it giving you a sinking feeling about your retirement? Well, working with an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner can give you confidence no matter what the markets are up to. Right now, when you call 833-PLAN-EFE, you'll get a complimentary retirement review and financial plan. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. Or visit edelmanfinancialengines.com. So it is October. If you had any doubt that it was October, all you have to do is go to the grocery store. They are selling you pumpkin spiced everything. I actually bought pumpkin spiced Uh, special K this week, which was much better than you would. No, much better, much better than you would think that it would be, that it has any right to be. But what it also means is that we've only got two more months. For charitable giving before the end of the year. And the good news here is that Americans are giving more than ever, despite obstacles that we're facing with inflation and the economy, we are giving more than ever before. Charitable giving soared to a record-breaking $471 billion in 2020. This is according to Giving USA. That's up 5% from 2019. And it's remained high this year as donors watch what's unfolding across the world in, in Ukraine and, and rush in to lend support. So I guess my question would be, how should we think about giving, not from like, from my heart, but a question about like, to make sure that I'm protecting my assets and being most efficient and, and actually, um, you know, having a strategy uh, around it. Yeah. And just to touch on, on Jean's point, Americans generally are the biggest givers around the world in most cases. And then I think what COVID has done and the endless different, uh, you know, situations that have unfolded ever since. I feel like charitable giving is is an area that not only you can control, but we have established many times on this show is an area that also adds to your overall well-being, right? So being strategic with it, however, Soledad, is no crime. So, right. So making sure that you're not only giving, but giving in a way that you can get some benefits back as well. Obviously, you can always give cash. Right. But we've told you uh, or yelled at you 5000 <laughs> times as well, telling you keep your cash. Right. Uh, if a recession is coming, having a good emergency fund uh, always help. So in this case, being a little bit more strategic could mean selecting the type of assets that you are giving. I know markets are down right now, down the, more than anybody would want. But in many cases, we've had a good a decade run in the market and you may be holding on to some, you know, highly appreciated assets that you can give uh, and kind of avoid that 20% uh, capital gains if you were to, let's say, sell them and give it. So give those assets, those stocks, those bonds, uh, mutual funds directly uh, to a charity is, is one way that you can be a little bit more strategic. 
If you are thinking about rebalancing your portfolio, which uh, we've said before, is just, you know, selling some overweight assets to buy some underweighted assets in your portfolio, maybe giving some of those overweight assets as well as part of your overall broader rebalancing plan uh, is one thing that you can do. Right now, Rose, and we've talked about this before, the, the fastest growing charitable vehicle in the country is, is something called a, a donor advised fund, which is basically your own personal foundation, right? I mean, I, I actually have one of these. It's an account that you open at your brokerage firm and you put assets into this account. You can put stocks, you can put bonds, you can put mutual funds, you can put cash. And, and then that money gets invested and you make grants to charities or other organizations that you want to support down the road. I actually love my donor advised fund. Why? Why do you love it? I love it because, so I make a contribution. I make a charitable contribution to my donor advised fund every year before I give away the money. The money in my donor advised fund has grown over the five or six years that I've had this account because the markets have gone up. So I feel like I'm giving away free money, right? I, I actually, that's why it's fun because I feel kind of like a philanthropist. And I, and you, you know, I know this is a big part of your life as well, but just the fact that you're giving away money that gives you an opportunity to make an even bigger impact is, I think, very, very compelling. Uh, Rose, do you see a lot of your clients sort of venturing into the donor-advised fund waters? And, and who are these right for? I, I do have uh, clients who definitely not only are charitably inclined, but also want to be a little bit more strategic about uh, how they give. And the charitable donor fund is a perfect vehicle for somebody in that particular situation. You know you want to give an amount every year, for example. But you may not be at a point where you know who you want to give it to, right? This is where you can donate an X amount of money that year, have the tax benefit of that, without having to automatically think about who you're going to give it to. So that is the ideal situation in which you need to set up that charitable donor fund. And as Jean has mentioned, you have time to strategize, number one, but you also have this added bonus of the money invested. My clients love the fact that they can also control the investments in the account, right? You can have goals for this account. Um, you know, you can give ahead in a year in which you made more money than the next year. So let's say you just got a big bonus one year and, and you said, you know what? I may not get this bonus this year because it was, let's say, because of a merger or something like that. Let me give a little bit of this money to my charitable donor fund and have that uh, legacy continue uh, beyond that one year. It also comes in really handy if you're trying to itemize and you're not able to itemize mm -hmm. every year because of the larger standard deduction. And so if you are employing this bunching strategy, as we call it, you can make bigger charitable gifts in one year, enabling you to itemize and then back off perhaps in the next year and not itemize. And it's just, it's just a nice, elegant way of making sure that you, you save a little bit on taxes. 
Um, let me ask a couple of questions because I don't have a donor advised fund and I, I actually um, give away a decent amount of money because one, I just like small little foundations that need support locally. And then I try to support bigger things um, and, and kind of move the needle for other sort of bigger things that Brad and I support. So you mentioned the tax benefits, um, Rose. Those are the same, right? Whether I'm writing somebody a check or I'm handing them a chunk of cash or it's going through my donor advised fund. There's no difference in the tax benefits of giving, right? There is no difference on the tax benefit of giving, but there is a big difference in the management. Because I'm sure right now, Soledad, you probably have somebody that has to track all of these receipts. Oh, it's the uh, worst. All of yes. the checks, uh, <laughs> yes. all of yes. that. So I'm sure you could benefit from getting a nice little bundle at the end of the year from the organization that is helping you manage your, uh, you know, uh, donor advice fund and said, these are all the organizations you're giving to. Another situation is what if you were wanting to give to a organization, but didn't want your name to be on that check? Through a donor advice fund, you can be anonymous in that given oh. as well, if you want it to be a little bit more private. So working with a financial planner not only helps you decide how much you need to put into a donor advice fund, but have those philanthropic conversations that are going to be very similar to the financial planning conversations that you are used to, right? I know at Edelman Financial Engines, we have great partners that help our clients with setting up these donor advice funds while keeping their financial planners involved, which is uh, very, very important. So if you don't have a financial planner or you are looking for one, you can always give us a call. The number again is 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. It's such great information, Rose. And, and I think what's so interesting about all of this is that it, it really changes your approach to giving overall. We're talking about charitable giving and how you navigate that. And, you know, you would think it's not super complicated, although there are some things that you can do that make it a little bit easier. I thought we could talk in this block about, um, behaviors, because you guys mentioned that some people accrue the money in their donor advised fund and then don't give it away. Is that common? That just seems, that seems crazy to me. That seems completely insane. Why would you accrue it and not give it away? Well, we have attachment to our things, right? I mean, like, <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's the basic of it all. Because, so this is not like writing a check to a charity where the charity runs off with it and you're happy about it. This is being a little bit more strategic by kind of deciding when you're going to give it out after you decided how much you're going to give. So you said you're going to give $200,000 and then you've invested, which as we said, has the potential to grow. And and now it's growing, let's say, and you're like, well, what if it grew to 300000 Then I can really make an impact with this children's hospital. And then that prevents you from writing that check in a time in which that hospital may really, really need that money from you. You know, we mentioned at the top of the conversation uh, about charitable giving that Americans are giving at an unprecedented uh, amount right now. But also we've been talking about on this show, this looming risk of a recession and people become a little tighter. During those times, charities also get less. So if you do have a donor advice fund, 
know that those who are normally giving cash are giving less. One, because we've told them to save cash or two, because expenses might have been a little bit higher. But you already decided you were going to give this money. You cannot take this money back and put it in your investment accounts. So give it away. Write those grants. Get that feel-good, well-being aspects of it that we've talked about so many times. I think that's such an important point. I mean, I've been guilty of this myself. I put money into my donor-advised fund every year, and sometimes it sits there and stockpiles. And as I think about why I leave it there, it's because I want to make sure I do the right thing with it. I don't want to make a mistake with the choice that I make of where to give it. And once you decide, okay, I'm going to give it here, then you can no longer decide I'm going to give it there, even if the pitch that comes in from the next organization is even more compelling. I was thinking about um, the different organizations that, that we support in our family, and, and they tend to be incredibly personal to us. Um, we, we tend to hew toward heart-related charities because I've got a son with a heart condition and Parkinson's because we've got a lot of Parkinson's in the family. But in a year like this, when there's so much strife happening around the world and and so many people suffering in Ukraine, you want to think about those things too. So I guess what I'm saying is it gets complicated and you don't want to make the wrong step. Do you think people are biased towards big organizations when they have a donor advised fund? You know, do you stop saying like, hey, I'll fish out the 50 bucks to give to the local boys and girls clubs because they've set up a table and here they are because I have a donor advised fund. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if somehow the smaller charities lose out when you're accruing money in your fund. That, that has not been my experience because one of the reasons you kind of write off the $50 you gave to Boys and Girls Club because they were in front of Walmart. Like right. you don't ask for a receipt. <laughs> Whereas when you have a donor advice, well, well, maybe you do. But when you have a donor advice fund, um, you can hop on your computer, write that $50 check and somebody's tracking it. So I think if you are thinking I'm not going to give to the small organization because now I have this donor advice fund and feel like you need to give to a bigger organization. Know that this helps you track that $50 in a way that you wouldn't be able to track it before, right? One of the things that we've done in our family is sit our kids down and explain that we have this donor advised fund and use it to help bring them into the process. I'm wondering, Rose, if you've seen other clients use this vehicle as a way to just teach their kids about charitable giving. Yeah. So let me back up a little bit as well, which which is to say that before we set up a charitable donor fund for clients, we employ similar strategies we do with financial planning. So you need to outline your charitable plans, right? So what organizations do you want to give to? Uh, do you want that support provided annually, monthly, so that, you know, we can take that into account? Discuss the process around how much you should or can add into this plan. And also see if your children, as you are saying, Gene, uh, want to be involved. Because this is a great way to leave behind the legacy of giving. Because of the fact that uh, donor advised funds have the ability 
to potentially grow, you can have a, a sum of money in these plans and put your children as uh, successor advisors on the fund when you're no longer here. So including them in that conversation is very, very important uh, because then they can give this away in the way you would want when you're no longer around. It's such a smart way to teach them how to give. One of the things that we've done, which I, 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 someone gave me this advice and it was really helpful, you know, how your company will match your gift. And I'm sure it's as easy to do when you have a donor advised fund, but we started matching our kids gifts. You know, if they found something they wanted to give, we sort of said, listen, you know, if you've now picked that charity, mom and dad will match your gift and have more power for your gift just to kind of teach them about the the concept of matching, the concept of bringing more people in and having a bigger impact. And it's really fun to see your kids excited about giving stuff away. And I, I think helping them strategize around the giving away was really helpful in kind of flexing that muscle and, and, and making sure that our values as a family and our values as parents, you know, we were really clear about what we wanted them to learn on that front. Somebody said to me a very long time ago that givers aren't born, they're raised. And I think the story that you are telling Soledad is exactly that. You have to model your values for your children in order to make sure that they understand what your values are and they carry them forward. I think the point that you make about donation matching is a really important one because no matter how you're giving, whether you're writing a check, whether you're putting a donation on a credit card, you should be looking for other organizations and other people who are offering a match. It's just a great way to make your donation go further. This is where a financial planner can help. When you are having the conversation around setting up a donor advice fund, bring your kids in to the office, right? Talk about those goals. Answer those questions from your financial advisor with the kids there. Ask them what they would want to do if you weren't around, right? So I, I, my eight-year-old loves animals. So I know even if I were donating to another charity, if he was the advisor, successor advisor, everything go, is going to whales, right? Like that's how that's <laughs> going to happen, right? So maybe include a little bit of that donation while you are still around, to a charity that he cares about mm. because then more likely he's more likely to continue that legacy uh, on an ongoing basis. And as always, if you are looking for a financial planner that just does not talk about your investment only, but also your overall well-being, leaving a legacy of philanthropy, you can always give us a call at 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. That is all we have time for today. Big thank you, Rose, as always. Love chatting with you. Uh, if you guys have a question or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, we'd love to talk to you on the air. Just visit everydaywealth.com and submit your question. And together with an EFE Wealth Planner, we'll talk through potential solutions that would be personal to you. And if you want to catch a show that maybe you missed, you can always listen to us as a podcast. The podcast will sometimes have content that we aren't able to put on the radio because we just don't have enough time. And you can download our podcast at everydaywealth.com or wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. While you're there, leave us some feedback. We do want to know what you think and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Have a great week, everybody. Getting mauled by the bears in the stock market? What about a looming recession? Is it giving you a sinking feeling about your retirement? 
Well, working with an Edelman Financial Engines Wealth Planner can give you confidence no matter what the markets are up to. Right now, when you call 833-PLAN-EFE, you'll get a complimentary retirement review and financial plan. That's 833-PLAN-EFE. Or visit edelmanfinancialengines.com. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engines Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien, Gene Chatsky, and Rose Neyoung. Tune in each week for fresh and compelling insights and strategies to help elevate your financial potential. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.